Hello, 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 and happy Saturday. Happy Saturday indeed, and welcome into episode number 64 of the Sports Kiki Podcast. My name, of course, is Alex Reamer, and you can find the show wherever you can find your favorite Outsports podcasts. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. It's all there. <clears throat> it is May 1st. Happy May. We've made it. We can truly see the finish line. Uh, I am knee-deep or have been knee-deep in NFL draft stuff for my other job at Odyssey Sports. Been following that all week long. I did enjoy watching it Thursday night. Uh, Roger Goodell was out of his basement and awkwardly asked the fans to boo him at the start. But it was good to see that again, right? It was good to see Goodell in person being awkward, awkwardly hugging the prospects. He's fully vaccinated. They had fully vaccinated fans up close in the VIP section somewhere on the stage. It was nice to see that if you're vaccinated, the risk is so low. I mean, you can return to more or less your old life. That's 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 the message the NFL was sending with a lot of uh, the show on Thursday. And uh, I thought it was a refreshing thing to see. And that's the last time I'll probably ever compliment anything the NFL does. <laughs> Um, especially when you talk about the draft, just a total meat market. And I'm not necessarily saying that in a good way. I could talk to you more about Mac Jones and the Patriots and what a pick that was, but instead I'll just tell you to look up the video, if you haven't seen it, of Mac Jones strutting uh, to the stage like an aunt making her way to the buffet line <laughs> after the Patriots selection was announced. Uh, so there you go. That's a draft analysis. Uh, on to our guest for the week. Uh, she has a very interesting story. Julie Kliegman is a copy chief at Sports Illustrated. She recently came out as non-binary. So I asked her about that and what it means to be non-binary. And Julie also identifies as asexual. She's written extensively about that. So I talked to her about those uh, two things, both uh, subjects that, frankly, I don't know all that much about. So, very interested to hear what Julie has to say, and also uh, we talk about her journey and experiences in sports media. All media struggles with diversity, but that's especially the case in sports media. If you're not white, (laughs) cis, male, and straight, you're on the outside looking in. So, Julie and I talk about that as well. Diversity is important in all facets of media, but sports media especially. I mean, these are, it's such a diverse group of athletes who we cover. It's always good when the newsroom reflects the subjects. And in sports, you just don't see that at all. So hopefully that begins to change more and more. It is changing more and more. I mean, someone like Julie, I don't think. 30 years ago would have had the voice that she has now in sports media. Hell, as an openly gay man, I and everybody else at OutSports wouldn't have the voices that we have as openly LGBTQ people. So it is changing, but it's a slow change. So again, interested to talk about all that with Julie. That's on the other side. It's a Sports Kiki, episode 64. Thank you as always for listening. And welcome back to the podcast. It is the Sports Kiki. And as I mentioned in the opening, I'm very excited for our next guest, uh, Julie Kliegman. 
is a copy chief at Sports Illustrated. Her work has appeared uh, pretty much everywhere. The Washington Post, The Ringer, BuzzFeed, Vox, who we know very well uh, here at OutSports. Uh, she came out recently as non-binary as well. Julie, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to talk with you. Um, I have so many things to ask you about, but I actually want to start here. You've written about so many interesting and in-depth topics from uh, mental illness to narcolepsy, asexuality, a lot of really heavy and deep and poignant personal essays. But what is it about sports that interests you? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I think sports encompasses so much of our culture. Mm. Um, you know, uh, it says a lot about who we are as people that we like to sit around and like root on for these arbitrary teams as our form of recreation. And I think you can um, tell a lot about the athletes that way uh, and, you know, learn a lot about us as a culture from the athletes that we look up to. And, you know, so many issues that I write about, like sexuality and mental illness are and gender are such big parts of sports. So sports really, um, uh, it's not just one topic. It's a multitude of topics. Right, right. But what is it about using sports as a vehicle that you find to be effective to talk about those kinds of issues? I guess why sport, why, why are sports an effective vehicle to use, uh, to talk about those issues? They're so relatable. I mean, so many of us played sports growing up or root for a sports team or have kids who play sports. Um, so I think just it's one of those topics that really everyone has some connection to. Yeah, that is true. And I view sports similarly as well, um, you know, because it's just, you know, even something as simple as an NFL free agent story is really, at the end of the day, a labor story as well. You know, a guaranteed contracts, franchise tags, etc. So you can really kind of extrapolate that to a number of issues that touch us everywhere. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how would you describe your experience in sports media? I've been really lucky. Um, I didn't start out in sports media. I started out in uh, political journalism um, and newspaper journalism. Um, And I kind of just, you know, wormed my way into the ringer. Uh, And that was such a great place to start in sports media. Um, Just a lot of really creative, inspiring people. Um, A great copy desk team for me. Uh, so that was really a great place to get going. And now at Sports Illustrated, I'm just kind of continuing that and working with other really great people and, you know, on some creative projects where I have a lot of freedom to kind of copy edit, but also dip my toe in writing and editing when I want to. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you know, and it's, it's always a question that I always get asked a lot or got asked a lot. In my previous life, I was a full-time talk radio host. And one of the things that I was always badgered with is, you know, why is diversity important? Isn't the most important thing diversity of thought? You know, why, why is it important to hire, you know, a woman for this or a gay man for that or, a tra- you know, w- what is your answer to that, especially in sports media where, I mean, all media remains uh, very uh, let's just say homogenous in terms of who works at places, but sports media, I feel like is, that's especially the case. So why why is it important to have not just diversity of thought, but a diversity of people working at these outlets? Yeah, for sure. Well, I think the number one reason is there's a diversity of people in 
sports themselves. And you don't want, for example, an all-white group of people covering right. a mostly black league, like, for example, the WNBA. Um, you really want writers that can understand the subjects in implicit ways, and you want writers who can connect with a diverse group of readers in those implicit ways as well. Right. Um, and it's just really important to have a variety of perspectives on the issues we've been talking about so that, you know, our coverage isn't one note. Right. And a diverse group of people intrinsically does bring diverse thought as well. Um, so, and, 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 and that's so key. And you notice it more and more. You know, I was watching a segment on MSNBC a couple months ago. It was not a very noteworthy segment, but I remember it because I was watching it. And they were talking about... Uh, the Equality Act. And I looked at the panel and I said, I can't believe that this is a TV station having a discussion about LGBTQ rights, not a single out LGBTQ person on the panel. Whereas, you know, I think five years ago, Julie, maybe I wouldn't have noticed as much. I would have been, you know, but it's, it's, and that's a good thing that I think that it's become, it's so glaring when these perspectives are missing, but especially in sports, they, they remain to be missing in a lot of places. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'll be the first to say they're missing at the places I've worked. And, yeah. you know, it's something I'm happy to be working on at SI now. But, um, yeah, I think it's really um, come into the forefront in the last few years. Is that way too late for it to have come yes. to the forefront? Of course. But, you know, I see a lot of journalism companies working on this now through their unions. And that's, you know, it's a great sign. Yeah, yeah. And what are some ways you think we can make media and really sports media, since you're at SI now, more more inclusive? Yeah, I mean, I think like normalizing, asking for sports reporters pronouns, uh, as you did with me before we started this interview, right. uh, which I greatly appreciate. Um, you know, making sure locker room spaces once we're back in person are open to people of all genders and, you know, don't kind of favor men or, you know, make people of marginalized genders uncomfortable. I think that's a huge thing in sports media. Um, and I think opening up our coverage to more than just male athletes as well. I mean, there are so many other interesting players and leagues out there. And I think that the more you broaden your coverage, the more you're creating space for people from marginalized genders to really, um, you know, do good work. Yeah. And, um, of course, with race as well, um, you just want to create an environment in the newsroom that is open-minded and, you know, you know, that people won't get shut down for espousing what you think are political views, but are actually just civil rights issues. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, like, um, certain companies, you'll see, like, you'll see them say, like, oh, no politics online or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes it's, you know, the issues that employees care about aren't really politics. They're civil rights issues like Black Lives Matter or something. You know, that's not a political statement, I don't think. It's just a statement of fact. So um, just making sure that sports newsrooms are kind of, inclusive of those beliefs is really important. It's so interesting that, I mean, obviously we're past Trump and thankfully the day-to-day -day dealings within Washington are a little a little more staid than they were. Um, but, you know, it's just so unavoidable now. We're never going back to a world where sports and politics don't mix. Because uh, you even look at the advent of social media 
athletes can now talk about anything whenever they want. Whereas previously, when could they talk to the public after the game when reporters were in the locker room and what were reporters asking about the game? Now that's totally opened up. So you're right. We are we are never it's never going back regardless of who's in the White House. And I think what we've seen over the last few months is just indicative of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I did want to talk about the issue of, I don't know if issue is the right word, but but gender in sports. I mean, we talk a lot about sports, obviously, about sexual orientation and sexual identity, and there's a lot to talk about there. But gender in particular, sports are just so gendered on their face. You grow up in gym class, everybody's separated, male, female, boys, girls, a boys team, girls team. It's just... It's so intrinsically gendered, much like our society. How have you navigated um, doing that, you know, and being a sports person and in sports media? Yeah, um, it's interesting. It's I've noticed my own biases toward yeah. paying attention to male athletes. And, you know, maybe, you know, I didn't start watching the WNBA until a couple of years ago. And I'm like a little embarrassed to admit that. Um, but we just get fed this narrative that sports need to be segregated by gender, which isn't really true, but that's the narrative we get fed. And that not only that, but that the men are universally better, stronger, faster, but also more interesting and more worthy of our attention. Yeah. So, right. And you're talking about how we, how we sift through the coverage because yeah, that, I mean, cause I, I admitted too, up until taking this job at OutSports, WNBA was not even close to my radar. I mean, it wasn't, I worked in traditional sports talk radio and we just didn't touch it. So it's uh yeah, but I think, but it's, it, but the, but the stories, like someone like Natasha Cloud, I think is just an incredible, incredible story. I mean, the stories are there. Oh yeah. I mean, there's so many stories there. Oh yeah. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, so I do want to talk to about, uh, asexuality. You've written a lot of, I think, really exceptional essays about this topic that, uh, you know, does not get discussed about a lot. Um, so what should people know about those who identify as asexual? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, a lot of people aren't familiar with asexuality at all, um, since it is one of those smaller groups of sexual orientations out there. We don't have great research about how many people identify as asexual, but it's thought to be definitely more than 1% of the population. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm asexual myself. And um, what you need to know is that asexual people, um, it's not that they lack a sex drive, but they aren't sexually attracted to people or they are varying degrees of sexually attracted to people um but not in a way that a i don't want to say typical person in this way but a quote-unquote typical person is and but that doesn't make them any less human they may still want relationships but they may not which is called aromanticism um a lot of ace people do have sex um and there are many reasons for that so it's not just this monogamous group of people it's not necessarily a prude group of people or a traumatized group of people, just like, you know, any other group of people. Yeah. And how did, how did you come to realize that you were asexual, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, that's a great story. Um, I was watching, like many of us did, BoJack Horseman. Um, <laughs> of course. And there was a great plot line in that show where the character Todd Chavez 
slowly comes to realize that he's asexual. And that was my first real interaction with the concept of asexuality. And it didn't quite hit me at first. It wasn't like I was watching and I was like, oh, that's me. But I started reporting out for The Ringer a story about asexuality. And I was talking to a lot of asexual people for that. And then over the course of months, this idea kind of like simmered within me. And I was like, oh, yeah, huh. That does really accurately describe a lot of my experiences. Huh. Huh. So you came to this in adulthood? Yes. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. How did you identify before? You know, I think um, I identified as uh, heterosexual. Okay. Um, But yeah, I think a lot of ace people come to it in adulthood because this isn't something that's really taught in sex education classes. It's not really something that's considered acceptable. Um, You know, everyone talks about teenagers like they have to be horny and they have to you know right be interested in sex even as many people don't right. want teenagers having sex right. there's this expectation there that they are and it's in our media it's in our sex ed classes it doctors espouse this it's, it's kind of everywhere so i think it's pretty common for people to come to the orientation in adulthood Right. I mean, there's really, I mean, talk talk about lack of visibility. <laughs> I mean, there's really. Yeah. When I was reading your story you wrote about it, um, I'm like, I mean, those are some of the first publicly identifying asexual people who I've read about in a story. I mean, it's it's really, yeah. I mean, wow. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just, and because, I mean, we talk about that all the time at at Outsports, and I mean, me too, as a gay man, I mean, obviously, I'm white, I'm cisgender, so I always had some semblance of representation in the media, and that's only increased more and more, but as you said, you started to come to realization by seeing somebody else who was openly ace, um, and that's just how it happens through visibility, and without visibility, a lot of people don't come to those realizations, so it's an, it's important work to be open. Why, why are you so open in your writing? Um, I think there's definitely a part of me that likes feeling seen and understood. Yeah. Um, and there's a part of me that wants to write the things that I wish I had access to when I was Googling stuff about right. asexuality or about whatever given topic I'm writing about. I mean, there, I wrote an article about how hard it is for asexual people to online date because I was trying to online date. I still am, by the way. <laughs> and, you know, there just weren't resources out there. I wasn't really understanding how anyone else was tackling this like monumental challenge. Right. And, and it's, it's therapeutic in a way. I mean, I have a sub stack in which I write about myself a fair amount because it's therapeutic and it's nice to know that other people are going through, you're going through out there too. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's powerful writing. I enjoy it immensely. And I did also want to talk about your big announcement recently publicly coming out as non-binary. First of all, congratulations um, when did you, when did you realize you were non-binary? Thank you. Um, it was a very slow process, yes. not unlike realizing I was ace. Um, I, I can't remember exactly when the seed was planted, but for years now, I felt like some degree of dysphoria about my body. And I think, um, once you kind of think about that long enough, you're like, oh wait, cisgender people don't really spend that much time thinking about this, do they? Um, hmm. and so it was it was a bit of a slow burn, but that's what prompted the realization, and it just 
I, I never, it's not that I always rejected the label of woman, but yeah. I always kind of knew in the back of my head that it didn't perfectly fit me either. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you the same question I asked about asexuality. What does it mean to be non-binary? Yeah. So it means a ton of different things to yeah. different people, much like asexuality does. But um, it's either being neither a man or a woman. It could be being more than a man, uh, both a man and a woman. Um, it, it's not just the third gender category. It's it's so much more than that. It's um, the freedom to be like any gender you want to be. And I just think that's so great that it's such an expansive term. Yeah, exactly. And I think the cool thing is I, I, keep, I don't know many members of Gen Z, but you read all the polls, they're really expanding the boundaries more and more. So that's, that's cool as well. Um, yeah. I wanted to close on this. What are you most looking forward to as we uh, head into the summer, of, uh, summer in 2021 in terms of sports? What stories do you have your eye on? LGBTQ or otherwise. Oh, man. Well, I've been watching the Challenge Cup for the NWSL, and that's uh, been super fun, and I'm really looking forward to the regular season. Of course, I'm looking forward to the 25th season of the WNBA. That's huge. I'm preparing a lot of content for that for Sports Illustrated. Um, And... You know, I'm looking forward to hopefully this summer seeing a rebuke of some of the anti-trans sports bills that have been passed in several states so far. Um, I would like to see more agitation develop around those and, you know, as court cases likely happen in those states. So, you know, and also on a lighter note, I am very excited to see what Jacob deGrom does this season for the Mets. I've always been a huge Mets fan. Well, he's going against the Red Sox tonight. Spoiler recording on Wednesday. He is. So I'm going to watch. We'll have to see. I read that the Red Sox almost acquired DeGrom in 2011 for catcher Kelly Shopik, but uh, the Mets <laughs> pulled him back at the last second, and the Red Sox got Pedro Beato instead. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Well, Well, I'm so glad that didn't go through. (laughs) uh, Julie Kliegman, uh, you can follow her on Twitter uh, at JM Kliegman. That's K-L-I-E-G-M-A-N. Julie, it was great to talk to you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. So thanks go out to Julie for taking the time and coming on the show. It is much appreciated. As always, if you have guest ideas, feel free to send them my way. At Alex Reamer one is my username. That again is at Alex Reamer one. So long, everybody. And I'll talk to you next, next Saturday.